the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone and give me a call. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One thing that I get asked on often is love, marriage, and debt. We'll see if we can hit those in somehow, some way, shape, and form in this segment. What happens to your debt when you die? The average American right now is dying with $62,000 of debt. Whoops, thought I had another month to send in a check. You're probably going to die with some debt to your name, and that's okay. Uh, one of the very first girlfriends that I ever had that was awesome, her dad pulled me aside, and he's like, let me tell you a secret. I'm going to die with debt, and I'm okay with it. 73% of consumers have outstanding debt when they're reported as dead. Now, keep in mind, I recommend you don't report anyone as dead, that you just bury them in the backyard and keep giving their Social Security checks. But that's me, and that's probably not you. Consumers carried an average total balance of $61,554. Without home loans, the average balance is about 12875 So a lot of it is home loans, right? Does that sound about right? $12,000 of credit card debt and other debt, car debt? Doesn't sound crazy to me. So the average unpaid balance, credit card's about 4500 Auto loans, about 17000 It's interesting, right? Personal loans, about 14000 Student loans, about 25000 That's one that kicks me in the butt. How are people dying with student loans? Right? Are you with me? Does that, like, ting? Did a little notification bell just go off in your head? So debt belongs to a deceased person, for sure, or that person's estate. If someone has enough assets to cover their debts, the creditors get paid and beneficiaries receive whatever remains. So if your mom's already died and your dad dies and he's got $62,000 of debt, they take a look at his estate and figure out how much can they get. But if there's not enough assets to satisfy debts, creditors lose out. Um, family members do not become responsible for debt, as some people worry they may. So... Uh, beautiful young person, your mom and dad are running up credit card debt, you're probably not going to be on the hook. Now, why is it not more straightforward than that? Why did he say you're probably not going to be on the hook? It's the type of debt that you have, where you live, and the value of your estate that you know gets things complex. There's a lot of ways that things can get messy in this scenario, as you can imagine. You know, if your only asset is a home, after people that other people live in, that asset must be used to satisfy debts, whether it's the mortgage that, you know, or the credit card debt, meaning the people who live there may have to take over the mortgage. So if you're living in mom and dad's house and mom and dad die, 
that mortgage is you got to start covering it. So any accounts with co-signers or co-applicants can be the also result in you know debt falling on someone else's shoulder. So be careful taking out you know debt for your parents. So a lot of ways to say I don't want to burden my family. Do you want to burden your family? I don't. One way to make sure debt doesn't make a mess of your state is to stay out of it. You know, obviously, um, write a will and consider a trust if you own property. Uh, those are all very, very important things to do. Now, I talked a little bit about marriage. I talked death and marriage. We really can't avoid these topics, can we? So marriage is turning into a situation that I love to bring into stories. In large part, um, what you get is a snapshot into millennials. Who's getting married now? It's you know millennials. Or who's not getting married now? In this case, once again, it is millennials. Um, it's important because when you get married, you go, oh, we should get a house. You tend not to say, let's live in this one-bedroom apartment with four roommates. You get to the point where you're like, honey, wouldn't it be nice if we would wake up and make love on the kitchen floor? And she goes, no, that's disgusting. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. I do that. I was just checking to see if you saw that. You're not into it. I'm not, I'm not into it. But are you into it? Um, <clears throat> so young Americans are saying no to marriage at this point in time. Um, and that's going to be interesting to see what the ramifications are. The National Center for Family and Marriage Research, which I can't believe that we actually need a National Center for Family and Marriage Research. I'd imagine we have like a National Center of Cancer and a National Center of getting us off this friggin' frantic planet before it blows up. Uh, but the way young Americans today are living compared to 40 years ago, 30 years ago, is pretty dramatic. Um, you know, baby boomers back in 1980... About 65% were married between the ages of 25 and 34. Now, millennials in 2015, only about 40%. Baby boomers back in 1980, about 10%, 12% were divorced or separated. Millennials in 2015, only about 8%. Never married, millennials tops that list now at almost 52%. Whereas baby boomers are, back in 1980, were about 20%. Um, so two-thirds of 25 to 34-year-olds were already married in 1980. One in eight had already been married and divorced. In 2015, just two in five millennials, not two-thirds, just two in five, had been married and only about 7% divorced. That's a pretty big diff- trend, right? No. Obviously, when you get married, like I said, you go out and spend money, buy a house, you make babies. Babies are expensive. You're spending all that money that goes to your local tax authorities. Corporations win. Winning. Winning. Uh, So it's important to note. So um, the trends. So millennials aren't lazy. They just don't believe in marriage as much as others. Maybe as much as their parents want them to. That's the way we're saying that. So finally, I want to talk about housing. By a lot of measures, the housing market seems in good shape. If you look at home prices and uh, demand, uh, the National Association of Realtors, arr, narr, uh, last week they said that contracts by existing homes jumped 5.5%. Uh, 
So are there boom times ahead for housing? Some people don't think so. To understand why, it helps to revisit recent history. The housing bubble of the early 2000s was driven by subprime mortgages and other loose lending practices. You know, there was a huge collapse that left many potential new homeowners with inadequate credit scores, not enough money for down payment, and insufficient job security to buy a house. They all saw for the first time since the 1930s that not only did house prices fall nationwide, but they nosedived by a third. A lot of people forget. So it's frustrating to see, but a lot of people forget. Um, with conditions shifting away from rental apartments in favor of single-family housing, the home ownership rate is unlikely to rise. It's currently at about 63.7%. We got to a high of about 68, 69%. Um, and now people are saying, eh, I'll pass. Don't need to own a home. Wow, things have changed. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Welcome back in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. We're easing back in record highs on the market. It's been a very good start for the week, perhaps a little too good. Apple has kind of got that risk aversion thing going on as it fades a bit after unveiling its iPhone 8 and iPhone X. More on that later. Let's bring in Juliet. She's on a phone call, 800-516-1220. How are you? Hi. How are you, Barbie? Hey. What's up? What can I help you with? Question about ESPP stock. When should you sell, and how long is too long to hold on to it? Good questions. Um, I'm going to defer to CFP Chad Burton, who does the show from 6 to 7, Monday, uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, but I'll give you my basic ideas on it. Can I ask what stock it is? Uh, it's Juniper Stocks. Okay. Um, thanks for the call. Um, let's tell everyone what ESPP is. It's an employee stock purchase plan. It's typically given at a discount by a company, in this case, a network and equipment company. Um, it's given to you not because you're beautiful and not because you're funny. It's not given to you because you're um, an exceptional worker and they want to over-incentivize you. It's given to you because you're a worker and they want to keep you. In a world of uh, tough finding workers, they... Find another way to compensate you without you know digging into the cash coffers. So they kind of hurt the shareholders a bit. But some would say that they're retaining you, which helps the shareholders. Employees contribute to the plan through payroll deductions, which build up between the offering date and the purchase date. At the purchase date, the company uses the accumulated funds to purchase shares in the company on behalf of the participating employees. So that's how you're getting into them. Employee stock purchase plan, you get a discount rate on the company shares. It depends on the specific plan, but it's typically typically about 15% lower than the market price. And ESPPs may have a look-back provision allowing the plan to use a historical closing price of the stock. Um, so there's some positives right there. Now, there's qualified versus non-qualified plans, and there's going to be some tax issues that I don't want to get into because then it's turning into a specific one-on-one -on -one show with you but if you email your question, Juliet, to chat at newfocusfinancial.com, chat at newfocusfinancial.com, or info at newfocusfinancial.com, or even rob at robblackshow.com, I'll get an answer for you. But a lot more answers have to be given to questions that need to be asked. 
ESP PVs are categorized in two ways, qualified and unqualified. Qualified plans require the approval of shareholders before implementation. Now, the offering period of a qualified ESPP cannot be greater than three years, and there are restrictions on the maximum price discounts allowable. Non-qualified plans are not subject to as many restrictions. Um, however, non-qualified plans do not have the tax advantages of after-tax deductions like qualified plans. Um, so there's a lot going on there. And I would say that one thing you don't want to do is turn an ESPP into too large of a holding where it's too much risk. You already work for company X, which is paying for your car, it's paying for your clothes, it's paying for your home, it's paying for your dinners. Now you're going to start using their employee stock as a tax-efficient means by which you're going to be paying for your retirement. Now, again, I look at it as income. I do not look at it as a gift. I do not look at it as an investment. So if the position is sold two years after the offering date, and at least one year after the purchase date, the shares will fall under a qualified disposition, more often not. And this is where I'm going to start losing the listeners. So let me just say, follow up with an email, and I'll try to get you a better answer. Uh, but Chad does more work with ESPPs, and he actually has a position at newfocusfinancial.com that deals with tax consequences. Um, not as big of a problem as it used to be, but still an issue to digest. So over the course of the past days, S&P mid-cap index has risen 2%. The Russell jumped 1.7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average and the NASDAQ up 1.5%. The S&P 500 up 1.4%. It's been a bull move on the market. Uh, ultimately, on the weekend, we didn't get Hurricane Irma out of um, whack. It wasn't as damaging as feared. North Korean tensions have gone from boiling to simmering. And there isn't going to be any budget debt ceiling drama this month. Notable takeaway is that the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the NASDAQ Composite, the S&P 500 are all trading at record highs to start the day. Doesn't mean we in there and doesn't mean a damn thing. I'm not retiring today, so I'm not like, woohoo, thank goodness for 40 years I've been investing. I closed my, my, my investment career at record highs. Woo-hoo! That's not the case. 10-year treasuries down to 2.16%, still incredibly low. Good time to consider a mortgage. The increase in the index for final demand um, on the PPI report showed gasoline prices jump big time. Um, so there was increase in prices for final demand goods. On a year-over-year basis, the index for final demand up 2.4%, which is a little on the inflationary side. Um, it's kind of Goldilocksian because when you start stripping out food and energy, it's down to 2%, which is just about right. You don't want inflation issues to get too hot, and you don't want inflation issues to get too cold. You do want the people in the world to get more income. You do want the producers to get more earnings, but within reason. So elsewhere out there, Nordstrom could be moving closer to a workout deal to go private, which I don't know. A lot of the uh, big shareholders in Nordstrom are uh, family. And I just think at some point in time, Nordstrom needs to look around and go, even though by going private, they can fire people, they can downsize, they can right size, whatever you want to say. Um, something tells me that you still need to worry about Amazon in this world. So Target's big winner today. Um, they said they're going to hire 100,000 people this holiday season. Uh, that's out there. 
gasoline prices have boosted uh, U.S. producer inflation. So that's one of the things that we've seen. Producer prices rebounded in August, driven by a surge in the cost of gasoline. And there's also some signs of some underlying producer inflation. Some of the coolest features on the iPhone uh, 10. Do not call it the X. It's the sharpest display ever. It's got facial recognition, which is a really cool trick. But we've seen it before. It's got Animoji, which is probably a shot at Snapchat and Facebook, trying to get you to do more messaging amongst your friends. So it allows you to create short clips of your emotions and send them off um, to friends and family. Perhaps you'll make a silly face with a pig emoji, for example. Wireless charging, nice. Welcome to the 21st century Apple. And a lot of brand new cameras. Um, I would say their phone is finally competitive with Samsung's. It's been about two or three years since you could say that. But they also have a better ecosystem than Samsung. Yeah, their phones didn't blow up. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So, pretty funny article on CNBC that says the new Apple iPhone 10 is only for rich people. And I think most phones are only for rich people. It's something we don't need, it's something we want. The ability to get sports scores and recipes, and the ability to do GPS and get to work on time and figure out build arounds on roads that are no longer standing or or there or maybe backed up with traffic then you start getting into the facebook we don't need that we don't need instagram we don't need twitter we don't need a lot of things but we want it and uh for there to be social commentary today that the apple iphone is only for rich people it's kind of like um no no doubt right the new phone starting at, or the new 10 started at 999 and I think the 8 starts at like 799 or 899 uh, Somewhere there before you start getting extra um, megabytes and RAM and stuff like that. Not megabytes, but storage. It's pricey. It's a substantial increase that seems justifiable only for relatively rich people who care deeply about the appearance of their phone. And it's no doubt. When you see someone wearing a, uh, using a Google phone, an Android phone, it's already been proven that people on Tinder would rather, uh, Apple people would rather date Apple people because they see Androids beneath them to the tune of over 50%. At the gym, when I see people with Android, I'm like, oh, you should go to 20-hour fitness. Um, so there's a lack of compelling features in the iPhone X, ultimately, and that raises longer-term concerns about Apple's pricing power. Uh, the frenzy for phones is probably past, but the ability to, for Apple to ring out more dollars and cents are still very high uh, from every single user. Apple shares were up nearly 40% this year into the release, and it's, again, the buy on the rumor. It's going to cure hemorrhoids, sell on the news. It doesn't cure hemorrhoids. Um, so it's a hell of an ecosystem, though. And when they said that they're going to update every HD movie you've ever bought in um, iTunes to 4K, it's like, woohoo! All my Star Wars movies that I got are now going to be in 4K. And like, that's even better. And that's the ecosystem that I'm like, woohooing! 
Um, and I don't know why, because what are there, seven or eight Star Wars movies? And I could probably buy HD versions a lot cheaper than I could buy a $999 phone. Um, it's out there. But phones are for rich people. And when you look at phones, uh, data plans, and call plans, they're for rich people. There is no doubt about it. So let's bring in Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. How are you, Mr. Mendez? I'm well. Good morning. Hi. You don't ever need to say that because this is a radio show. It's not a friendly hangout per se. <laughs> um, mortgage rates um, have been in the news. Mortgage applications leapt nearly 10% on the lowest rates in almost a year. That already starts to seem like it's abating a little bit as the 10-year Treasury kind of got panicked. But now it's starting to creep back up. Home buyers are clamoring to capitalize on the lowest interest rates in almost a year. Driving uh, applications up 9.9%. After declining for weeks, applications to purchase a home jumped 11%. Um, but still down 19% on a year-over-year basis. So yeah, that's the big number. Looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, that is, it's still pretty low. And, I mean, it's no surprise when you see rates dip and you hear you see all the headlines on every practically every social website that you go to about low interest rates, you're, you're going to find applications go up and you're going to find a lot of people talking about it. I mean, the reali- reality is I mean, um, we are at uh, almost year lows right now. We're, at, we're on yearly lows, but almost 12-month lows. And it does attract a lot of uh, people who are looking to possibly refinance or uh, purchase home. I know here in the Bay Area it's a little tough, and it, you know I think most people would rather say, I'd rather find the right house at the right price than and worry about the interest rate later. A lot of people have seen their equities go up, and they're saying this could this this I missed last year's interest rates, and now they're here. I could refinance, maybe pull some money out, buy some property elsewhere. So there's a lot of opportunities with these low rates. So it's interesting that you bring that up. In large part. Would you rather buy the right house at the right price or get the right mortgage at the lowest price? I would almost rather get the lowest, the right mortgage at the lowest price. Um, I know it sounds goofy, but when you're paying for 30 years and it's the difference between a $4,000 payment and a $3,500 payment, that stuff adds up. And on a, month over, on a monthly basis, it's a little bit less to sweat. And no one likes sweat. Sweat is not sexy. Uh, maybe sweat's sexy, but sweat's There's not usually a lot more. Sexy. Um, options to choose from. I mean, inventory, and you could almost get both. You can get the low rate and the right the right house. So when the inventory is the way it is right now, especially in the in dense population populated areas where home prices and are going up and houses are in demand, and finding that right house is is I would put it as a higher priority because most people, and I hate saying this because it's so cliche, but most people would rather pay more for something they like than less for something they don't like. I mean, you were just talking about the iPhone. Um, people like it, and they're going to pay money for it, um, whether they're rich or not, because they like the phone. They're getting a quality device. Um, I've, I've lived my life always saying I want to buy quality. So interest rates kind of follow. The pr- uh, programs are what drives the market, not necessarily interest rates. You have to remember two uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago almost, we, we were in a run-up, and interest rates were about 1% to 2% higher than they are now, and we're, a lot of areas still haven't even hit their peaks again. So it's not always interest rates. It's, um, you know, that was driven by speculation, though. Okay. So what are you seeing right now in the Bay Area, particularly? 
Uh, are people rushing out to get the mortgage application done, or is the peninsula? See, I feel, and this is what I just see, and you'll have a much better vision than I do, uh, because you're seeing all of the bay. I see on the peninsula that the high end is starting to get slow, that some of the high end is not going as fast as it was. I've seen some of the Chinese buyers start to sit on the sidelines, so some of the cash offers are drying up. Um, but I'm seeing a ton of a ton of building of small units, and in the end, I don't like that because it takes a lot less land to occupy 400 bodies than it does to occupy a single family per se, and um, that bothers me. As a as someone who wants to see my real estate, my greedy personal real estate go higher, um, all those condos uh, and and apartments are not good for me. Um. If you want to follow where the market's going, you follow builders. That's why builders are always on the, in the news, and they're only maybe 10% of homes that are sold, but that's where the market's going. So if you're seeing a lot of properties being built that are multifamily or small units, condos, t- small townhouses, and no single family, uh, they're just filling the gap up for a market. Or, in the case of the Bay Area, that's the only land they can find to build. And people are buying them, so they're not going to stop for any anytime soon. But if you go back the last 15, 20, 30 years, however far back you want to go, single-family homes have always been in high demand, and they continue will continue to be that way. So I don't have a big issue with a lot of too many condos and townhouses going up, um, other than maybe traffic. Um, you need to loot the the, the middle-end prices and the low-end single-family homes but not the, the higher end, I think, in, in good neighborhoods especially, because those will always be in high demand to a certain point, of course, as far as price and income and um, credit score calculations is will eventually peak out. But um, I don't know. I, I think the peninsula is a little bit different than the, the East Bay. There's a little bit more land, and I think people are thinking about spreading out farther and farther out in out the corridors. Okay. Anything else you want to throw out there? I'm talking with Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. You can find him online at BayAreaLoanSource.com. I recently started a loan process, and it's going to be a long time before I'm finished. But you sent me out a list of 40 things, roughly, that you needed from me. <laughs> and it starts with Debbie. I don't know if it was quite 40, but, and, yeah, I mean, you own real estate. It was close to 40. And the more real estate you own, the more stuff you're going to have to provide. And, and it People get used to that as they start buying more and more real estate. But I think the only thing I would say, if you are interested in doing a refinance or a purchase, start early. Get your credit run so that you know what what's on there. Um, you know, have some a professional loan agent look at your your package, so the complete package, so that you know what to expect. Uh, any pitfalls or speed bumps, and you need to get those out of the way, especially when if you want to do a short. Um, uh, short closing on a property and you, you're not set up with a lender, that's a mistake. Sounds good. It's Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. And when I say it's 40 items, it's pretty close. In large part, it's taxes for three years. Then it's W-2s, it's K-1s, it's um, cash flow statements on properties that are rentals, things like that. It, it gets up there. So anyhow, changing topics, you can find Tony at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Changing topics, the new Apple Watch offers only about one hour of battery life for phone calls. It is super cool on being a Fitbit. But if you want a Fitbit that plays music, that music's going to start draining your battery. And it's going to work primarily and only with AirPods. 
And then if you want that Fitbit to make phone calls through your AirPods, you're talking about one total hour of battery life. How do you feel about that? So that's one of the highlights of the Apple the new watch is that it's it's great for placing calls if you need it, but it's got a pretty weak battery life if you use it. Um, so when it says over one hour of talk time while connected directly to LTE, that's not enough for you to actually go about your day without your phone. But that's okay. It's also got wireless charging, which will help. Anyhow, anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show, to get Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at KDOW.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Jamie Dimon, outspoken... Um, leader of J.P. Morgan has some harsh words about the poster of cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, calling it a fraud at Barclays Banking Conference. He used some choice words warning it won't end well and likening it to the Dutch tulip bulb crazy craze, uh, the frenzy where people paid thousands of dollars for flower seeds. So the remarks aren't a surprise as Damon has a long Diamond has a long history of being critical of Bitcoin. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. He does a show here from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. He talked a little Bitcoin this morning on his show, New Focus on Wealth. Again, it's Tuesdays and Wednesdays here on AM 1220. You can find a podcast of it at newfocusfinancial.com. Chad? Gosh, tough few days for Bitcoin. Now, despite the fact it's still up about fourfold for the year, um, first you had Chinese authorities preparing to shut down currencies, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin exchanges. And any trading in Bitcoin is going to be basically outlawed. And that's what happened. As soon as this currency, look, a, a country likes to create a currency, control it with a central bank, and know where the money's at. It's part of you know, having an economy. Now, the blockchain technology behind Bitcoin is amazing and will change the financial and insurance industry included going forward. But Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan... He said, Bitcoin is a fraud that will ultimately blow up. It's only fit for use by drug dealers, murderers, and people living in places like North Korea. He was speaking at a conference in New York and said he would fire in a second anyone at the investment bank found to be trading in Bitcoin for two reasons. It's against our rules and they're stupid. (laughs) Both are dangerous. He added, the currency isn't going to work. You can't have a business where people can invent a currency out of thin air and think people who are buying it are really smart. It's worse than tulip bulbs. Now, he was referring to a famous market bubble from the 1600s where tulip bulbs were going crazy. Now, he did say, look, hey, this could go to 20,000 before this happens, but it will eventually blow up. I would not be surprised if by the end of 2018, we have U.S. government regulations against Bitcoin. It, I mean, look, Bitcoin is tied to criminals and drug dealers in, in North Korea, like he's talking about it. Now, there was a report by uh, FireEye, which is a cybersecurity forum. Hackers backed by Kim Jong-un's regime in North Korea are specifically targeting South Korean cryptocurrency exchanges to steal Bitcoin and other digital currencies. Um, there was a South Korean Bitcoin exchange called Yapazon. Lost over $5 million in user funds. So, go ahead and invest in this stuff, but... If where your exchange is, where your Bitcoin, I don't know, wallet resides, if you know that gets hacked, you could lose it. 
There's no FDIC insurance on this stuff. It's crazy. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about um, a couple of things. Uh, early retirement. There's a decent water article in the Wall Street Journal talking about early retirement. There's three main issues that I see people go into early retirement kind of against their will. It's usually health, hope, and this is a good reason why you have disability insurance. Because if you're forced into early retirement at 60 because of your health, usually it's because of a disability or health issue. And hopefully you have disability insurance to pay your income until you're 65. Sometimes it's because of a merger and acquisition. Stock options can get cashed out. And look, I was looking at somebody yesterday that worked for um, Avago, which is, you know, purchased Broadcom. So they're they're looking at their um, RSUs, which are showing this $450,000 value on their Fidelity screen. But that's not really what it is. First of all, it hasn't all vested yet. And it does not count in the approximately 50% that you're going to lose from that number in taxes. So you have to be careful and know where you are. If you're in a company that you know they're kind of consolidating or looking to purchase other companies, you know what are your risks to get replaced or laid off? And what is your true after-tax value of your, your benefits? Or there's sometimes just a layoff, and that forces you into early retirement, and you usually get a package for that. So... Healthcare becomes the issue. If you're over 65, you get Medicare. Big deal. Under that, you get the choice between COBRA, which is usually pretty expensive because they charge you the full premium plus typically a 2% uh, annual administration fee, and you know, that gets you 18 months of coverage. But do realize that if you get a big cash severance package, the first couple of years, if it's enough to live off of the cash from the severance and what you have on your own, a lot of times you can get affordable you know, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act coverage for free with some credits that are out there. And you could have a large investment portfolio, but if your current income is under a certain amount and you're living off your cash, you can actually qualify to get those benefits for free. I've seen people that were multimillionaires get the Affordable Care Act for free, even when they say, look, this is ridiculous. I have $2 million in my portfolio. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's your income. Patient investors out there will be very leery of pursuing and chasing something like a Bitcoin. I think one of the best things CFP Chad Burton said there was something along the lines of Bitcoin's typically used by drug dealers and criminals at this point in time, and maybe speculators. Um, I'd be just cautious. I don't know. I work hard for my money, and oftentimes I I think of myself as an exotic dancer. And I know you're saying, can't get that image out of my head. But I'm not going to give it away for free. And I'm not going to give it away in a simple fool's play. So I'm not saying that's what Bitcoin is. It's just something that doesn't have a lot of tangible to it. Bitcoin's seen $15.5 billion wiped off its value in 11 days since it hit an all-time high. And then what do you do if you bought high? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Uh, Thanks. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.